2: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
0: And I'm Mary Beth.
2: In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
0: This week, our guest is Eric Laraca, the author of several works of horror and dark fiction, including Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke and The Just Release You've Lost a Lot of Blood. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much
3: for having me. I'm so so happy to be here and talk about horror. I'm so excited. Hell yeah, we're really excited, and that is a
2: great segue because we want to know how did you get introduced to horror?
3: It was really my mom. Like my mom was a big horror person um, growing <laughs> up. Like she watched like all of the chiller um, theater, like reruns that they used to do like like uh house of frankenstein house of dracula Mm. like the old universal monster movies and i was showing an inclination at a very early age to really like things that were just dark for some reason like i just always kind of preferred things that were like monstrous and weird and just like out of the ordinary and i think she saw that and uh the first like major horror film that she showed me that like had a really big influence on me was um the creature from the black Lagoon oh um mm-hmm. so that was a big that was a big one for me. like I saw that when I was probably like eight or nine and then after watching that, I was just like so obsessed with you know seeking out other universal monster movies and just kind of devouring the genre and really trying to like educate myself and then I kind of got into uh, horror fiction and, you know, reading as much as I could. Uh, and I really like went through the genre, like from the classics to like modern times. And, uh, it was such a real, like, it was just such an enriching journey. And, um, it, but it really was like my mom in the beginning that just had that huge impact on me, just developing a love for the genre.
2: I love hearing that because, uh, uh, I think you and I were similar backgrounds, except my dad was the one that introduced me to it, but it was Universal Monsters were, were the first thing. Probably the first like memory I have of like cinema was the Universal Monsters. I'm curious, uh, which one is it? Ble- creature from Black Lagoon. Is that your favorite still or which one was your favorite? Yeah, as a kid? I
3: just have a soft spot for Creature. I mean, it's just like, and it's also like kind of an inherently queer story too. Mm-hmm. Cause like it's basically like, a giant phallus running around, like, the jungle, like, terrorizing, like, heteronormative behavior. Um, And it's just, like, I mean, now I can speak about that because I have, like, the language to do so. But when I was, like, nine, I didn't know why I liked it. But, you know, being a queer kid, like, I was just, like, immediately drawn to that. Mm -hmm. But now I can kind of understand why. But, yeah, Creature from the Black Lagoon is definitely, like, I think my ultimate favorite like monster like from that from the era of like classic universal Mm -hmm. monsters
2: you also mentioned like horror fiction um what what did you you said you read some of the classics did you then like progress did you do like goosebumps or did you go straight to like stephen king and stuff or what was that progress like
3: like i never got into goosebumps really like i always wanted to kind of like challenge myself and i remember Mm -hmm. like one of like one of my earliest memories (laughs) is being like I think in like third or fourth grade, and I brought um, a book that had the monkey's paw in it. And like, that was like the title story. Um, And I forget who wrote it. I think it's like W.E. Jacobs. I think they wrote it. I could be totally wrong. But I remember bringing it to class and just like loving it. And I remember a teacher like, saw the book and was like, you're too young to be reading something like that. Like, you probably don't understand what you're reading. And I'm like, I know what I'm reading. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I just had to, like, constantly justify myself to adults sometimes. So, like, that's why, like, just going back to my mom, like, she was just always so supportive of anything I wanted to do and, like, anything I wanted to read and watch. So, and my dad, too. Um, But... Like, they are, are just sometimes, like, adults, like, don't know how to interact with children, I feel like. And they just, like, assume, you know, yeah. like, they don't – Like, children aren't as smart as they are, but, like, they are. You know what I mean?
2: I can't remember if it was sixth or seventh grade for me, but I have a memory of being sent to the principal's office because I had a Stephen King book with me.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, so heinous. Yeah. I know, right? On the,
0: and then on the yeah. opposite end of the spectrum, like, in my – I think it was my seventh grade – my seventh grade English class, we had like Christopher Pike books, just like, and I don't think anyone knew what they were. I think they were like, Oh, yeah, look, I, I don't it's like the it was it was the one about the vampire. It was a vampire one. And it was so funny, because I was just like openly reading these books in class. No one else would read them. And I don't think my teacher actually knew what they were. So I just like didn't tell anyone <laughs> they were horror books. I was like, yeah, well,
2: that's the best thing about <laughs> fiction. You can like no one knows what's in it. No one knows that Jaws has a very descriptive um, explanation of a woman's vagina in it. Like no one knows this shit.
3: Right. Yeah. You have to like experience the book. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But so were you easily scared as a kid?
3: Uh, I was like afraid of everything, honestly, but I was afraid of, I was afraid of like being out of control. Like I was afraid of like, like the world around me. You know what I mean? Like I was never afraid of, well, that's not entirely true. I was afraid of, like, what I was watching to a certain point. But, like, horror was just always really cathartic for me mm, to, you know, okay. kind of explore the my anxieties. And just, like, you know, I just... Growing up, like, I was I just felt like I was constantly not in control of anything. Just being a child, you know, it's just, like, not a great thing. <laughs> like, ages, like, six to... 18 are like horrible I feel like (laughs) they're just like the worst years uh they were for me at least um and it's just yeah like I was just I just felt like very I had like no autonomy I felt like I had no um say over like what I wanted to do and like experience and uh I lived in like a very small rural town Mm -hmm. and People there were just, like, not very progressive and just, like, you know, I it was, like, a small Connecticut town, so, like, very affluent, like, a lot of, like, very wealthy, wealthy people that were just, like, very kind of judgmental, too. And just, it. I mean, I do, I do like where I grew up, like, it, like, where I grew up kind of fostered my love of reading and writing, so I can't say it was a horrible experience because... Right where I lived, like, really brought out the creativity in me. But also, like, in the same breath, like, it was, you know, just adults suck sometimes when they interact with children.
0: Yeah. They really <laughs> do. And I've noticed that a lot, too, like, as I'm an adult with younger cousins and watching how my relatives interact with kids and being like, oh, my God, wow, mm-hmm. we really don't know how to talk to kids like in a respectful yeah. manner whatsoever it's insane
3: I totally agree I totally agree and that's like a huge that's a good word like respectful like I feel like a lot of adults just aren't respectful of children you know No. and they just kind of assume the worst or they assume that I don't know I don't know I think it depends on the person yeah but yeah no I mean growing up like just to get back to what you had asked like just about being scared like I I just felt, like, very just out of control and, like, no one really understood me and, like, I just kind of felt, like, on the outside looking in. Um, And it wasn't until I kind of became much older and really got invested in horror that I was, like, oh, this is, like, this is who I am. Like, this is, you know, this is what I want. Like, this is the person I want to be and this is why I was so upset growing up, (laughs) you know? Yeah
2: yeah um so okay transitioning to an adult uh what do you think draws you to the genre
3: now i think um you know i talk a lot about this like in interviews but i mean horror is such a queer genre to begin Mm -hmm. with like it's just horror is about the other and gabino iglesias actually posted earlier today like on twitter um he said that he he posted this really like thought-provoking tweet and basically said that um you know horror has always been about the other but I wonder how some folks now react to the fact that the genre of horror is being told by the other you right. know what I mean like being told very well by the other um so like people who are in the LGBT community people who are um you know POC like Mm -hmm. We have, like, all these amazing, diverse voices now in horror, and it's just, like, I feel like the genre is just having a great moment right now. And, I mean, it, it always has a phenomenal moment. Like, you can go through the history of horror, and there's really not many like eras that are very quiet. Like maybe the right. 90s, like maybe the 90s weren't like the best era for, but then you have like Scream. So like you
2: can't. Yeah, I mean, eat. the last, the last half had like a bunch of the teen slasher boom. Nineteen,
0: 1999. I know that's not just horror, but there's some like, that was a good year. For 1999 movies. was yeah. the last year for movies. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. No, I mean,
3: you really like, there's really not like a bad era for horror. Like horror has just been consistently, delivering the goods. But I feel like now, especially we have really cool voices in different, you know, from different backgrounds telling stories. Um, But I mean, what draws me to horror is just the fact that um, for like the longest time, it was really white male, cisgender. And now it's just like being flipped on its head completely. But I mean, like I said, like horror is just such a queer space in general, like just being about the other and just like a veneration of the uncanny and the weird. And, um, that to me, just like, that's like candy to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I just love that. I love exploring that. Um, it's just, yeah, like I could just talk about it all, all day. So I think that's really what draws me to horror and, I think like a lot of horror creators now. I think a lot a lot of publishers are recognizing that there's a lot of value in genre fiction because um, a lot of mainstream publishers are picking up horror pieces mm-hmm. that they're marketing. Maybe they're not marketing as horror outright. Like they're marketing it as like dark literary or mm-hmm. thriller, but they really are horror. And yeah, I just feel like horror is just such such an incredible genre, and just a really cool space to explore anxieties and like what what makes us human too. You know,
2: yeah. I'm I'm curious because okay, so you you brought up the the tweet, which I think is a, I just retweeted. It's a fantastic so tweet. So did I? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so my question is, as as a queer author, when do you remember the first time you experienced? queerness in a book that you read or a queer author that you read
3: yeah it was clive barker clive barker Uh, Mm -hmm. definitely clive barker clive barker to me is like a god on earth like i'm just not worthy i'm i am nothing compared to clive barker (laughs) i just love clive barker with all my soul he really like changed he changed like how i view horror and like Mm. how i perceived how I could like contribute to the genre in general, you know, in addition to the movie that we're going to talk about later, which also kind of did the same thing to me. Like it changed like how I saw the genre and what you could do with horror. Um, Clive Barker did that to me because, you know, he had in, in his short story, like in the Hills, the cities, it had Mm -hmm. uh, a queer couple in the, in the, in the start of it. Um, And I remember thinking like when reading that, I was like, this is amazing. Like I can't believe something that was so uh, mainstream in the 80s that crossed over from being something subversive to something uh, mainstream. I can't believe something like this like existed, you know, because like prior to experiencing Clive Barker's Books of Blood, uh, which is like the Bible to me. That that's book. great.
2: Yeah, that's great.
3: Prior to that, like there I just there was nothing. There was no queerness that I could see like, you know, overtly. Everything mm. was coded. Yeah. Um so, you know, uh Claire Bloom's character in The Haunting in mm. from mm-hmm. 1963. I mean, that's a queer character, but when I was like 11, I didn't understand how she was queer or, you know, what you know what the implications of her role in that film were another like classic example is suddenly last summer by Tennessee Williams. That's Mm. hugely queer. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was like 11 or 12, I didn't understand anything about what was happening. Like who Sebastian Venable was like, why he was getting, yeah, spoiler alert, why he was getting cannibalized by the, the, the children in, in this, uh, this country. Yeah, like, so just to see Clive Barker being so, and like, I watched like a ton of interviews with him, uh, when I first found the Books of Blood. I watched like a lot of interviews from the, from the 80s and 90s with him, and he was just so like unapologetically who he was. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I want to be just like that. Like, I want to, I want to be, not necessarily that I want to be Clive Barker, but I want to, I want to, one day just be just be who I am and not give a fuck like what people think uh, what the genre critics think and just be a voice for people who were like me who were like in this small town in like this kind of cons- conservative area and were wondering where where is the queerness in, yeah. in this genre You know, there's tons of queer authors now that are writing in horror, which is absolutely amazing. And I love I love to see it. We need more queer creators like creating mainstream like content, you know. But yeah, no, Clive Barker for me was like the ultimate and just like my gateway into what can I present in fiction. And he really like showed me that if you have an imagination for it, people will respond to it, no matter what. It can be as audacious, it can be as inflammatory, as provocative as you wish. Uh, people will come to you and listen to you tell your story. Um, and really, it was Clyde Barker that, that inspired all of that, for me, at least. Oh, yeah. Wow.
0: Um, but so you're talking a lot about you know, a lot of writers today. And I'm curious, what's the scariest book you've read recently?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Oh, uh, it's actually an easy answer. Um, so I read an arc for clash books, uh, for a book that's coming out in August, uh, this year, and it's called anybody home. Uh, and it's by Michael J. Seidlinger. Um, who's an amazing, amazing author and the book is like it's it's it flips the home invasion genre completely on its head it's just so unique and so perverse but it's also just so expertly crafted and just like really well done and it's like this kind of like ongoing monologue that you're reading and it's it feels like something that you shouldn't be reading you know it feels like something that's like cursed that you're like yeah. i'm going to get possessed after i read this <laughs> book or something horrible's going to happen to me after i finish reading this book and uh it just totally unnerved me and um it's just like it's probably one of my favorite books of all time seriously oh, wow. um it's just such a well done cool. book and the cover art is really cool.
2: Yeah, I, I'm um, looking at it now. It, it's, uh, yeah, I love it's it with really the, finger, cool. the finger paint. The fingernail it looks paint. like kind
3: of like it's like an homage to Funny Games, the cover. Oh, the American release with like Naomi Watts on the cover. But yeah, Clash is putting out like really, really cool stuff. And they're actually putting out a book of mine in February next year. Ooh. So that's that's like really exciting. But um, this book anybody home I feel like it's it's gonna do really really well and I I want to see it find an audience like as soon as possible because it's just such a good book well I just added it to my uh wish list so that I can keep track of it <laughs> yeah I think you'll really enjoy it if you're into like the you know the home invasion subgenre, which I <laughs> really am like I love funny games and mother and like you know all of Anything that's like home invasion related, uh, because that's like what really scares me. That and like body horror are like my two big genres. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely add anybody home, I think. Oh, yeah. So
2: speaking of body horror, let's talk about things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that, uh, novel? Yeah. So,
3: book? um, it's a novella that came out with weird punk books in June last year and, it went bananas on like Twitter and TikTok and Facebook, like everywhere. Um, and I'm really, really grateful to that because I've been able to meet like a lot of really cool people because of that. But it's like a, an epistolary uh meaning that it's told through like, you know, emails, letters, correspondence, I am chats, stuff like that, um, about two women who meet in a chat room in the early two thousands and develop a very unusual relationship with one another. And it kind of devolves into uh, just bad things. I kind of, I don't like to say a lot about the book because uh-huh. uh, I feel like the less you know about it, like the better, uh-huh. uh, which is, yeah. Which, yeah, which is like any film that I've experienced, like the film we're going to talk about later. Like I knew nothing about before I watched it. And those are like the pieces that stay with me those type those you know those books those films the stuff that i know absolutely nothing about and then it just like punches me in the face like that's that's the good shit you know like that's really like the best that's the best form of horror so i encourage people to like not read reviews before you read it uh don't look at like spoilers don't reddit it or anything like just read the book because it's coming out again through titan books uh in september this year um in a collection with like two other uh short stories not novellas but yeah so th- that's basically things that have gotten worse since we last spoke like in a nutshell. <laughs> What I love about it is that it's it's um short enough
2: that I, I sat down and I just, I couldn't stop. It's like, it's very propulsive. You want to just keep reading it. And so I sat there and I was like, I was reading it last night and I was like s- scrolling on my, my phone, just reading it going, I just can't stop. It is like past my bedtime, but I'm not going to
4: stop. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, and I got a copy before it was out of print. I feel so fancy. Yeah. Oh, I'm nice. obsessed with the cover, the cover art of yes. this. It's beautiful. But I'm. I'm curious, like, especially in, like, an epistolary novel, especially one like this, how did you kind of come to the idea that you wanted to write it in that format? I'm just always so curious about, like, how it goes from, like, the straightforward way of writing a narrative to this really awesome way of developing over these relationships through, like, instant messages.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was, like, kind of a very... uh immediate choice for me like oh. writing the book. Like I was like, I know that I need this to be chat messages, emails, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like I didn't I knew that I couldn't tell this story any other way than like their correspondence from one another.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, just kind of like going back to anybody home for like one second. Uh like that book, the way it makes me feel like reading something that I'm not supposed to be reading that's also the same thing I Mm. felt like when I read like house of leaves and like Uh haunted by Chuck Palahniuk. Like those are like the books that stay with you and you know, they, they, you feel like dirty after you read them. You feel like, you feel like a part of the book has like crawled inside you and is like now kind of like living inside you a little bit. That's like what I, I wanted to kind of like replicate that somehow I just I've always been really fascinated by things that are written like unconventionally um, things that are kind of told through just like very strange methods Um, because like I started out like I started I started writing fiction kind of later like I started really writing plays in the beginning like I was a playwright before I was a fiction writer actually, like, the way Things Have Gotten Worse is structured is actually kind of similar to, like, a five-act play, yep. because there are, like, five parts in in the, the novella, Um and I've actually said for a while that, like, you could really do a cool production of Things Have Gotten Worse, like, on stage with just, like, two actors, and you could have, like, video installations and, like, make it, like, a really cool, like, performance art piece, but yeah, no, I mean, like, the the motivation for doing that unconventional style narrative was just kind of always it was it was like there was no other option you yeah know? like the cool. way I wanted to write it and like how I wanted people to experience the story I was like I feel like they're not going to be able to experience it fully unless they're like actually reading what these two people are going back and forth about, you know, as opposed Mm -hmm. to me just like trying to describe it. And yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the genesis of, of the book is just like being really influenced by books that you feel like you're, like you're reading something that you just shouldn't be reading,
4: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: I'm curious then you said that you were a playwright first. So when did you start writing?
3: Like, In earnest, I mean, I started writing when I was like really young, like probably like eight or nine. Okay, so I started writing plays like really young, and I like worked with like a theater company that was in my local town, and um, I had some plays that were done by them that I wrote. But then, kind of as I got older, and you know, I developed more of a love for horror. um, It's it's hard to do horror on stage, (laughs) and uh, it's not. It's not that it's not effective, but it's just you need like a good budget to do something really frightening on stage. Although that's not always true, because I don't know if you two are familiar with The Woman in Black, which is like a really great. Um, it's a it's a novel by Susan Hill, but yeah. they've also done like a West End production of it. Oh, um, like a play, and it's like it's like two characters and just like an empty stage. And it's, like, such a cool, creepy production. So I guess I'm that's not entirely true that you need, like, a big budget to do something creepy or, like, cool on stage. But I should maybe say that theater companies usually aren't very keen on doing something that's horrific. Right. You know, they kind of want to do something that's a little bit more in line with, like, something that's more marketable, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, not that horror is not marketable, but...
0: A lot of people still don't... A lot of people still think horror isn't marketable. It's wild.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's... that's Yeah, that's... I don't... I, I can't... I can't even, like, entertain. <laughs>
2: no, but a lot no, of people seem to, like... They want to shy away from it as if it's, like... I don't know, porn or something. Like, it, it's it's it has such a weird, like, relationship to the modern public where it's huge. And people watch it, but, like, no one wants to admit that they're watching it like in terms of like people producing stuff it's so it's so bizarre i don't i don't get it
3: yeah that's a good comparison that it's almost like pornography in that people watch it but they're like almost embarrassed to admit that they watch it or that they create it um i remember like growing up when i was writing horror i remember like i mean i was living in a very small conservative town in connecticut but um you know, telling people that I was interested in horror, I mean, the looks you would get, mm-hmm. like, just, it was not, not fun. So, I totally, I totally get that.
2: I remember when I went to my first uh screenwriting course, and the professor, I was like, he wanted to know what what I was going to write about. And I told him I was doing this serial killer thing. And he's like, you sure you don't want to do a story about a boy and his dog? And I was like, <laughs> no. Who? (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, he's like, I just don't think this is going to work out. And I'm like, oh, it's going to work out. And cause I'm like, there's no way I'm going to write this little non horror thing. No. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the way, that's the way it seems to be a lot. When, when you tell people I want to write horror, it's like, don't you mean like something funny, dramatic maybe?
3: Right. Yeah. I found that a lot, like growing up, like just being a kid that was interested in horror, but Mm -hmm. then, Once I turned 18, 19, and then went off to college, I actually had really cool professors that were very supportive of the stuff I was writing. And I was writing, like, if you thought things have gotten worse was, like, fucked up. Like, the shit I was writing in college, I don't know why, I don't know why, like, I wasn't ever expelled. Like, there was one short story I had that was published in an anthology back in, like, 2016, and it's actually one of the few short stories that I'm still like relatively proud of. Um, but it was in this anthology called Stiff Things, the Splatter Porn Anthology. <laughs> Hell <laughs> and, yeah. I love that title. Yeah. It, and it's like, you know, there was, okay, obviously there's been discourse around things have gotten worse with like, you know, bad representation of queer people and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I just want to show like the people that made those claims like i would love for them to read this short story i did back in 2016 because it would make their heads spin like how problematic and like dark <laughs> and just grotesque i made uh like these these couple of queer men seem but yeah anyway like i'm i'm digressing
0: <laughs> Wait, what was the story called you it was
3: called uh if my face were transparent you'd see the devil oh i love your titles fuck yeah
0: your titles are so fucking good
3: <laughs> thank you holy shit yeah wow yeah it's a good it's honestly like it's like i said like it's one of the few short stories that i can look back on like over five years ago and be like you know what that was actually pretty good you know
0: that's so nice. It's hard to look yeah. back on your stuff and think, of, think <laughs> nice things about it. So I know. It's so I know. fucking hard. So. I know.
2: <laughs> but, okay, so speaking of really cool titles, though, you also have You've Lost a Lot of Blood, which came out uh, in March. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that? Because if they're chomping at the bit for things have gotten worse, this one's out and they can go go read it right now. So what is what is that book about? Or novel, yeah, Novela. so
3: um, that was kind of just like a like, more of like a gift for my readers for just like, st- you know, staying behind, sticking behind me and like, you know, being so thoughtful and kind with, with things have gotten worse. And like, all, like, pretty much all of my 2021 releases are out of print now. I mean, just the two of them that came out, but, uh, they're gonna be both coming out through Titan Books, uh, this year and then next year. Um, but, I was talking to like my manager and I was just saying, like, I wish I could do something now and just get people, like, g- give something to people now. And mm-hmm. he was like, why don't you just like do something independently and just release it and, uh, release something that you're not going to pitch to like a bigger publishing house and just, uh, you know, do it as like a one-off thing. And I was like, oh, that's actually a great idea. So I, you know, independently released, you've lost a lot of blood and. It's basically it's kind of like similar format from uh things have gotten worse like it's told through like chat logs uh it's there's some poetry in there there's uh there's a novella within a novella in there oh. um it's yeah it's it's I think it's pretty cool um you know it's got another Kim Jacobson cover art on it, which oh, is, like, really, yes. really dope. Like, It's it really cool so looking, good. too. Yeah, so, and, like, and uh, 50% of the proceeds are going to Trans Lifeline. Hell yeah. Which is an awesome, awesome organization uh, that's really close to my heart. So, um, yeah, 50% of the proceeds are going to be going to that. So, um, but if you're... Because I do have a, a novella that's coming out in June through Journal Stone called We Can Never Leave This Place. But mm-hmm. if you're kind of just interested, maybe you've heard the buzz around things have gotten worse and you want to just get like a taste of my work. Um, you know, I would definitely consider picking up a copy of you lost a lot of blood.
2: Hell yeah. Yes. And we'll put links listeners in the show notes. Yes. So yeah, that'd be great. I don't know why I'm putting yeah. down as if I'm on a YouTube video, but <laughs> <laughs> click the link in the description.
0: <laughs> um, but okay. So Eric, we've talked about your horror history. Uh, so But what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? So I brought the
3: iconic Martyrs.
0: (laughs) Iconic. Okay. So uh, here's a quick synopsis of Martyrs. A young woman's quest for revenge against the people who kidnapped and tormented her as a child leads her and a friend who is also a victim of child abuse on a terrifying journey into a living hell of depravity.
2: I didn't realize until this IMDb summary that um, the other character was a victim of child abuse. you didn't? No.
0: Yeah.
2: I somehow missed that. Yeah, both, both times I've seen this movie, shit,
0: which is why. Yeah. But I oh, I have so many thoughts and feelings about this movie. But Eric, before, to start mm-hmm. us off, tell us why you've picked Martyrs uh, as your scarred for life movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is the movie that, like, uh how I was talking about books of blood earlier, like changed my way of thinking with horror and just how I wanted to be creative, like. Martyrs also did the same thing for me. It scared, like, the shit out of me when I first saw it and just completely traumatized me. Um, But it also, in, like, a very strange way, it really inspired me. And it was, like, at this moment, I was, like, you can really show anything on film or, you know, in a book. Like, you can tell kind of any story, you don't have to, like, censor yourself. You don't have to be inhibited in any way. Uh, if, and same thing, like, what I said with Clyde Barker. Like, if you have an imagination for it, you, like, readers will come to you and be interested in what the story you have to tell. Um, and it just also, like, it's such a fearless film. It's so, like, audacious and just completely in your face and... That's also just kind of how I like to live my life. Like I, you know, what you see is what you get. And, um, you know, I try to be like as I try to write as fearlessly as possible and write with no inner critic. It's hard. It's obviously hard to do that um, and stay true to that. But uh, Martyrs for me was just like a big turning point and just a movie that was like just so... Uh, Just I can't think of any other word other than fearless that just completely destroyed my uh, just destroyed my spirit made me like a total, a total, um, like nihilist in a lot of ways, <laughs> like, you know, it's just such a bleak, bleak film. But then so I actually rewatched it today before we recorded and there's also like a little bit of hope at the end. That we can maybe talk about, yeah. more. yeah. Like, let's that. let's
2: put a pin in that for sure. Yeah. I definitely want to discuss the ending, but I'm curious. Yeah. How old were you when you saw this movie?
3: I was like 15 or 16, so definitely like I shouldn't have been watching it. Probably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's like a perfect age to watch Martyrs, but that is definitely not the uh, the the age that is probably great. But it was so you said that it kind of uh, changed how you viewed. Uh, horror in a way. Uh, Were you surprised? Because you didn't know anything going into it, correct?
3: I knew like absolutely nothing. Nothing. I remember I bought a copy at FYE. um, Hell yeah. FYE. (laughs) Memory. Love FYE. I bought a copy of Martyrs and I bought a copy of Inside, which is Mm. another new French extremity horror movie. I bought both of them like the same day and I watched them like back to back, I think. (laughs) Um, Wow.
0: When you saw them at FYE, did you know anything about them or did you just like, Oh, the covers look fucked up and cool. Like, let's go for it. Like, how did you like, I'm curious.
3: Well, I mean, I knew that they were part of like this movement of like new French filmmaking that was like very like in your face and very, aggressive um and just very fucked up um but i i just knew what was on the back cover of the of the film yes of the like the dvd case um so it was honestly like the best way to experience both of those films um just like if you're listening do not look if you haven't seen martyrs or inside don't look at any reviews or any spoilers, like, just watch those films, and you know, it's just it's just, like, a once in a like, I envy people who watch Martyrs for the first
0: time (laughs) without knowing anything, like, I envy that experience. It is, like, it's, like, I had a similar, like, it was, like, a transcendent experience for me like, like, you know, to play off of, like, how the movie is kind of about, like, the nihilism of transcendence, but, like, yeah. I was introduced to New French Extremity in college because I I watched High Tension and Inside in a class, yeah, which was really cool. And I'd never heard of Inside. I watched Inside in a class. I was fucking ruined. Like that movie ruined my ass. And yeah. then I'd, I'd heard of Martyrs, but I was too nervous. It was one of those movies you saw on the list that were like fucked up movies that like you shouldn't watch and like you're yeah. going to be fucked up if you watch this. And, after watching inside, I was like, I can handle I can it. it I can' yeah. do fucking anything yeah um <laughs> uh, I was wrong about that, but I absolutely loved martyrs. I think it it everything is said about it is true, but I just I think there's something also very queer about this movie. I think there's mm-hmm. a queer reading to be had about this movie um I think it is a very in- interesting look at trauma and how people become codependent when they are dealing with trauma. But I also just think it's so fucking bleak and so dark. And the conceit behind all of it with a cult trying to understand the afterlife and create a martyr is absolutely insane. Like, I never would have thought of that idea. Like, that's, that is such a wild concept, but it seems so. It seems so obvious when you think about it, but you're like, I've never I would never have thought about like this whole society about create a creating a martyr out of a young woman. And the whole conceit is they torture young women. And it's just, I didn't know anything about it when I watched it. And I was just like, this is a lot. Like, there are a lot of things to digest about this movie. And it also is two different movies because it changes tone very quickly halfway through. It does, um, yeah. But Terry, I want to hear before we start like digging into the movie. I do want to hear your reaction because I know you have a very different relationship to this movie <laughs> than I think Eric and I have.
2: <laughs> I do. Uh, so I, I I can't honestly remember when I first saw this movie. It would it would have been probably at least. Five or six years ago, maybe, maybe seven. I can't remember, but it was way well after it had been released. It had been that movie that everyone talks about the sort of like, this is the most fucked up movie ever, that type of thing. And so I was like, I I just, I don't know. I just stayed away from it. And one day I was like, okay, well, I watched Inside, really liked Inside. I was like, I don't really know much about French New Extremity. So I was like, I, and I had seen High Tension in theaters. So I was like, well, if it's kind of like this, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll watch it. And I didn't know anything going into it either. And the the, I, the thing that like really – it grabs you immediately because the movie starts with like a young little girl screaming, face cut, beaten, bloodied. Her hair has been shaved, running out of like a slaughterhouse almost. And it's just like, what is going on here? And you have this like cold open and then it immediately cuts to – um, a scene of a family sitting down for breakfast and then all of a sudden they're being shotgunned down. And I'm like, what am I even watching? I was like almost laughing at the like absurdity of what I was seeing on, on screen. So I was like, what is even happening right now? The, the tone in this is just constantly sh- shifting. And I was really digging it and I was like digging the fact that there was, you know, almost like a home invasion thing. And then it felt almost like a, uh, a Japanese horror thing with like the, the kind of creepy, a demonic lady that is crawling around over the place. Like it was giving me all this all this vibes. And then boy. Boy, boy, boy. I lost interest <laughs> completely when it turned into the woman getting punched for 30 minutes. <laughs> and I remember just like sitting back in a chair and like my face going from being like elated at the wildness I was watching to like oh and then I ended up really not liking it. <laughs> that was my first reaction to the movie, because oh. I feel like the the moment the, the it's torture starts, wrong
0: sometimes no, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> I just feel that when the torch starts, it like all of a sudden it takes the air out. Like it just all of a sudden is like the woman See, loses that's agency. Why I, love it. I know, oh, I well, get that. that. that like part, I that part, I well. <laughs> It's like the all of a sudden like I'm I'm watching this badass woman like trying to take care of her friend, trying to do all this stuff and then all of a sudden she's in a chair and she's just getting punched repeatedly for like 20 minutes mm-hmm. and I'm like
1: <sighs> I don't
2: like this. And yeah, that that was my first reaction to it. And I I'll be honest, I like I'm I'm actually really excited that we're talking about this movie because I I desperately like to try to understand this movie better because I just I I, I sometimes wonder If I just don't get it. Because like I posted last night that I was watching this movie and I got maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 40 and 50 replies and everything was like, I was terrified to watch, but ended up loving it. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, It's a masterpiece. The I love this movie. The, you know, one person responding that they love the part where Xavier Dolan gets blasted by a shotgun, which... I don't know what the intent of behind him saying that is because he's, he's a gay person getting blasted. And I hope that's not where this is going, but it's just like all these people like responding (laughs) about how much of a masterpiece is the best movie of the last 20 years. And I'm just like, what am I missing? So I'm, I'm as much as I, I, I was dreading rewatching this. I'm really excited that we are talking about this with two people that absolutely love it. So I can maybe find a better appreciation for it. Cause that's what I strive to do. Yeah. That's my piece.
3: (laughs) That's fair. I appreciate that. That,
0: uh, yeah. I, yeah. That is fair. Cause it, it's, I feel like, so like the beginning is very fast, fast, fast paced. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot happening. There's a lot of, just a lot of blood. Um, and then it does, it just slow down. It slows down a little bit. But I think mm-hmm. what I like about that though is I think it, it's, it's subverting those expectations of like, a final girl kind of thing is how i i i've viewed it recently is like you come into this movie expecting okay lucy lucy is the girl who we see at the beginning lucy lucy's the girl at the beginning who we see who's super, who's incredibly traumatized and her friend anna yeah anna I'm just thinking again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her friend Anna is basically is her best friend and essentially like her caretaker. And Anna is the one who's kind of making sure Lucy doesn't get herself in trouble. Uh, Lucy gets herself in trouble, so now Anna is the one that has to clean up the mess um, because of Lucy's, you know, Im- Lucy's actions. And you know, Lucy's getting revenge against the people who imprisoned her as a kid. And you know, p- partially, you're like, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, you see Anna having to kind of pick up the pieces like you didn't plan this the way you were supposed to like Jesus Christ and in the meantime they also find another woman chained in the basement and there's a lot of you know pretty crazy things happening all at once also Anna and or Lucy sees a manifestation of her trauma that is kind of like a feral woman and that's also going on on top of everything else and there's just a lot of things happening a lot of things to parse through a lot of blood a lot of guts And then you switch to this more kind of contemplative, weird existential half of the movie where you learn it's no longer just revenge. It's learning what's going on with this cult. And I think to me that the reasoning that kind of they get into with this the back half is what really, I think, kept me going in terms of it being something more horrifying than you could ever imagine you know what i mean like i think that when the the incredible the incredible madam with like the turban and her cigarettes and her tiny glasses i love like her. Expl- <laughs> i love her iconic yeah explaining what they're doing it's just like it's so fucking scary and mm-hmm. so fucked up and this is so fucked but like this is real because rich old people are fucking crazy and are always looking for like the secret to, to death and immortal life. And this is essentially a movie about people desperate to know what happens after you die. And that de- desperation leads them to the most, the cruelest, most horrific acts you could think of, especially the children, because the whole thing is young women and what, like how young women are the demographic. And it's just so fucked up that, I'm obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And that might have something to do with my weird brain and how I love this kind of like deeply nihilistic, horrific shit. But I just, I think it's fascinating how they focus on that and flip the script on having Anna go from this like incredibly strong character who knows what she's doing to being stuck. And I think that's what new Frederick Charmaine does so well for me is in terms of like, it gives you these characters that are absolutely incredible. And then not even they can escape their circumstances. And that to me is like, so nihilistic in the face of what we expect from like slashers, we're like, oh, well, she'll get out of it, okay, in the end, but this one, it's like, no, and you're gonna watch her fall apart. Yeah. and like there's something to be said, or people could say there's misogyny to it. Yeah, I suppose I don't read it that way. Is that what people but say? I I've seen that. it i've so. I've seen people say it before. I've heard that argument like about mis- like it being misogynistic because of that. i don't I don't agree with that personally. But I've seen that reading before. Um, but also, like, to put it bluntly, you watch slasher movies, women get brutalized all the fucking time. And for yeah. here, for me, I feel like there's such a fucked up specific purpose that it transcends that kind of just watching a woman get brutalized. And mm-hmm. from how I how I am viewing the film.
2: Well, okay. So I, I do want to say, because, like, I, watching it this time, I... I felt a little bit more of the misogyny, and here's why. And it's, it's really because. I have since I had originally watched this movie. I watched his other film, Incident in a Ghostland. Oh, I
3: love that movie. Oh, I
2: find that so misogynistic. Oh,
3: I love that movie. <laughs> uh, I, I, Am I it's canceled? one of the few
2: movies that I actually no. You're not canceled. But it's one of the no one's canceled here. It's just it's one of the movies that I absolutely hated. Like it's a review that I I literally put the title I hated this movie. Wow. And it's because again for like half the movie it's about these two. Young women, again, who are just being brutalized and they have no agency in the film. And I think that's what bothers me is it, it, when I watch these these films, and It's something that I, I, I just I have a mental block that I can't get past because these characters, unlike slashers who have agency through most of the movies, especially in the good ones, they might be going through trauma, but they're actually being able to like break free of it. Here we have two movies where it's literally the last half of the movie or the last 30 minutes or however long it is is them just really being punched in the face constantly and i just i i just i can't get past that i don't every time i watch these movies it just it just like eats me up inside and i just i can't it just makes me go from being interested in the movie to just sitting back with my arms crossed like i don't like this (laughs) but it's an old
0: woman doing it wouldn't it isn't it it's not misogyny (laughs) woman does it uh, but it's a man that's I'm punching sure, her i'm just being a facetious <laughs> asshole but it's, but it's a man that's
2: punching her that's the other thing it's like she has a woman that comes down and feeds her yeah. in, in in martyrs and it has a man that is just sitting there literally beating her up and then it's a man who is skinning her alive so it's like these men that are doing it and so maybe if it was a woman doing it maybe that would have been a little i don't know different but it's the fact that we have a woman caregiver who is feeding her yes she's a little harsh in her feeding her but she's feeding her and we have a man that is constantly brutalizing her it just it makes me feel icky and the fact that he does it again in incident of a ghost forland just makes me even more icky that's just what i can't get past i guess
3: i get it i get it i um you know that part of the film uh when we kind of switch and it becomes anna's story as opposed to lucy's because prior Mm -hmm. to like the 45 minute mark it's pretty much like all lucy's story and you kind of think that like oh it's like the trajectory of this film we're going to be following lucy and then she ends up killing herself and it switches to anna
0: let me tell you when i screamed and that happened when i first saw this movie (laughs) i was like what yeah Mm
3: -hmm.
0: i I don't know what's gonna happen anymore like i kind of you know that's why i love this movie because like you don't feel safe watching it. Right. You do not. That's no. true. You know, you as don't soon as she's, safe. as soon as she dies, you're like, Oh, it's all out the door. Like, you, I There's I another like- 45 minutes left. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck?
3: It's like, yeah, no, I get it. It's like the, the modern equivalent of like psycho almost where, mm-hmm. um, you know, Janet Lee's character is killed in the shower, like at the 45 minute mark. And, You don't know where the movie's going to go. And that to me, like, that's a brilliant storyteller. That one that you, you're reading something or you're watching a film and you think to yourself, I don't feel safe watching this. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to live. I don't know, you know, what the outcome's going to be. That to me, like, is just brilliance. And I... I personally, I really, really respect the director, the writer, Pascal Logier, or Logier, however you pronounce it. Um, You know, I think, you know, when I first saw Incident in a Ghost Land, I wasn't as enamored with it as I was with Martyrs, because it did feel like a little bit repetitive in like the same sort of themes and kind of, things that he was bringing to the table there. It didn't seem like there was really anything substantially new that he was kind of bringing to us. Um, But I've rewatched it a couple of times since, and it actually, I've kind of found new things to appreciate while rewatching it. But with martyrs specifically, that section of the film where uh, Anna's getting just totally brutalized and then eventually she's flayed alive um, that's my least favorite part of the film, and I remember watch and you know watching it today. I I remember thinking to myself, why is this part like? Why do I have such a problem with this part? Like, why do I not like this as much as the rest of the film? Because to me, like, Martyrs is a masterpiece. Like, Martyrs is like the perfect horror film to me. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, why do I have such a problem with this second? act of the film and it's really it boiled down to the fact that it just made me uncomfortable Mm. it just made me very very uncomfortable to watch the abuse of this character you know the systematic abuse of this one character and that to me any film that can make me uncomfortable after all the shit (laughs) i've seen and you know like that to me is a that's a huge win for any director, storyteller, writer, whatever. Um, You know, the fact that I've seen this film like many, many times and I'm still uncomfortable and I don't think I'm uncomfortable because it's like, it's a misogynistic rendering of like a a story. Like I'm just uncomfortable because the story, like where the director takes us, he takes Mm -hmm. us to like beyond the limits of, what you think is going to happen he takes us beyond that and that to me like that's what I I live for I live for shit like that like I love that in fiction and in film I love feeling totally unsafe and like something's gonna just totally upend my sense of stability yeah but yeah it really boils down to the fact that that part of the film just makes me totally uncomfortable
0: well, it's nauseating because it's like the whole point is they're trying to push her beyond the like any human human limit of like torture. Hmm. And I think that in and of itself is fucking hard for anybody to watch. I I would hope. I mean, if it's not hard for you to watch, uh let, let me know. Right. Um, yes. But like it <laughs> please is it please is don't like, let me know just get away like, from just, me. Like, don't block us. Me. Or, like, if
2: it's, <laughs> block us and run away. Weird.
0: Because I think one of the, another reason why it's effective for me is because it is trying it, it, it is the purpose is pushing beyond mm-hmm. the limit of both her body but I also think of the viewer I think he wants to test you while yep. you're watching this That's and wants to put you security. through that fucking exactly like put you through that ringer and make you uncomfortable and i can't imagine he didn't kind of see like the optics of a woman getting hit by a guy and maybe that factored into that kind of that discomfort which is something again that i i enjoy enjoy strong word but like appreciate greatly in the movie i did not like incident as a, a ghost land as like very much but this to me this movie i feel like it's just so brutal for such a specific reason and I feel like this is like the New French Extremity movie like when I think of New French it Extremity is. like yeah. this is the movie because all of them are fucking terrible but I feel like this one is the most just like brutal besides Inside. inside I think um for me that
3: movie like the movie I mean this definitely is up there for New French Extremity when I think of the genre but Um, the one that like really is very, very difficult for me to watch is Irreversible. I don't know.
0: Oh, I haven't even, I have not even watched that one. Yeah. I forgot that's New French Extremity. I have, I haven't even tried to watch that one yet.
3: That one is, is, uh, yeah. I've only seen it like once, (laughs) I think once or twice. It's really hard to watch.
2: Yeah. And see, I'm not, I'm not very well versed in New French Extremity. I've seen, I think three movies, Martyrs, Inside, and, and High Tension. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other two, I could, I could watch like constantly. Even as problematic as High Tension is, and it's deeply problematic, I could watch both of those hands down. Because it's not, it's not necessarily the, the nihilism. I love the nihilism of these mm-hmm. movies. I, it's just, yeah, I just, again, it comes down to the agency aspect. I just, I don't, I don't know. Do they say High is
3: problematic? Yeah, because the yeah. whole like
2: the 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 uh, monstrous lesbian,
3: whatever. Yeah. Gone.
0: <laughs> I also love High Tension and know that like it's it's the plot holes around it. Like if you think too hard about High Tension, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's okay. Just, who cares? It's it's yeah, about cares. It's just it's, enjoy <laughs> it. Yeah. My uh,
2: only problem with High Tension is that I'm pretty sure that the the idea behind it was stolen from Dean Koontz because he wrote a book that is very similar really? up until yeah. Oh, I have to oh, read wow.
3: it. I haven't read a lot of. Dean um, I think it's
2: called. I can't remember what it's called. It might even be called Tension, um, but it, it was oh, a uh, no. <laughs> no, maybe it's not. I don't remember. I, I honestly can't remember what it's called. But it is literally about a, a woman who is, I think, visiting her friend. Someone in a in a truck comes, kills the family, kidnaps them. She is stuck in the back with uh, with like hiding from him. Wow. Like it is literally this movie. And then of course there's no there's no uh, you know mental illness the you know reveal of her doing it to the the uh her friend i mean it's kind of
3: like a basic setup isn't
2: it oh i mean it is but i mean literally down to like hiding in the back of the truck yeah you know the the tension of like not being caught and then yeah it, but it's it's very like I read that book and then I saw the movie. I was like, wait a second. Oh,
3: I'll have <laughs> I've to read seen it. This. I'll have to read it. I really haven't like explored Dean Koontz that much, but he's not very good. Really, <laughs> <But> <laughs> he has like
2: one or two books that I, I I really enjoy. But like he just I don't know. He when you think of like the 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 typical eighties nineties horror author that is just churning out the books like like this like four or five a year. Yeah. Very, they get to be very formulaic, his books. Yeah. But there's there's one or two that really stand out. But um, he's not my jokes back.
0: on us. He's getting that check, right? Oh, yeah. no,
2: absolutely. <laughs> like, get that money, honey. But
0: he's doing it. But it's <laughs> an entire shelf of books in any library you go to. I mean, any he's a best-selling moment. author. Yeah. Incredible. Who incredible. You know, yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> um, I did want to talk briefly though about like the queerness of this movie that I started cluing. I clued in on later when I was. Finally realizing that myself, I myself am queer and watching this movie and seeing this very interesting codependent, it, it's a toxic relationship, but see a codependent mm. relationship between Lucy and Anna because. Lucy and Anna become best friends in an orphanage where they're both just full of trauma. Um and mm-hmm. they, you know, you've trauma bond. You, we've I figured most of us have had some kind of person we've trauma bonded with, someone who you're like, oh my god, you get me. Oh totally. thank God. You yeah. finally find a person who understands like the fucked up shit you've been through and you become attached to them for better or for worse. And they're obviously that to the extreme in terms of how, you know, Lucy decides to murder a whole family. Um you know, and you have to help clean that up. But there's also this nurturing relationship. <laughs> as you do, yeah, as you do, <laughs> Terry. I do it for you, just so you know. I would, in fact, clean so up a whole I. house if you're listening, butts.
2: FBI. I would not. But, <laughs> but now that you're gone, I totally would too.
0: <laughs> but there's this love, at least from Anna to Lucy, and I, I go back and forth if it's reciprocated, and if Lucy is so kind of focus on her vision of revenge and Anna is in love with her and is following her because she's in love and it's kind of an unrequited situation I flip-flop between the two because I think there are two readings you can have with that Mm -hmm. but I currently am in the camp of that Lucy is very singular visioned and Anna is kind of like following her because she's in love with her not just because they're friends but because they're is something deeper there for her that Lucy can't see through her own trauma and her desire for revenge and Anna trying so hard to be there for her. So when she maybe one day snaps out of it, she can be like, I'm here for you and they can live happily ever after. Yeah. I'm curious if either of you saw something like that while watching. Okay. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean that, um, the movie,
3: like, it's kind of very obvious that there's something between them. Like, There's some sort of thing, there's something that's, like, pulling them together, but also, like, Lucy is so uh, just dogged in her pursuit of, like, revenge and her own trauma that she kind of can't really reciprocate. She can't give Anna the love that Anna really wants from her. Yeah. But I I totally agree that there's, like, Martyrs is a very queer queer film and that like their relationship there's something just inherently queer about it to begin with um but i mean you could read it like a bunch of different ways but i totally agree that with like your your assessment of it where it's like you know lucy can't really give anna what anna really wants most of
0: all you know yeah
2: it's, it's funny because one of the things that, that surprised me on this, on this rewatch, because again, it's probably been five or six years since I saw it. And this is only the second time that I've seen it. Uh, but I remember I had a memory when I first watched it that they were queer and in love.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: And so rewatching it this time and seeing like the moment when uh, Anna leans in and kisses her and she pushes her away and she's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I was like, it made it. It made what happens next like even more tragic for me because like. I feel like on this rewatch, I'm, I'm leaning in more of the unrequited love from Lucy. Like they were just best friends and Lucy saw her as that sort of codependent kind of trauma buddy. Whereas Anna was like, yes, trauma, but also I kind of want to smush my, my parts on you. And, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and- <laughs> smush my parts on you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, so, but and so it that made it a little bit more tragic for me and I I actually I actually audibly gasped at that point when she pushed her away because in my mind when I had seen it before that is not how that scene had played out. And I had a similar realization once we want to if we when we want to start talking about the ending, I had a similar realization about that ending point. I don't know if there's anything
0: We can start talking we about we the ending. About I have something related to the ending in that, so we can I'm totally down to transition yes. to that.
2: Okay, I am curious how you what I'm curious what you think Anna told Mademoiselle at the end.
0: Suck my ass, you old bitch. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <is so> funny.
2: <laughs> Can you imagine? After all In that. In her ecstatic sense, yeah. she said, suck my ass.
0: You old bitch. Like, That's an important you thing old bitch. to add.
2: That is my bad. That is the most important part of it.
0: That would also be an incredible way for her to go out just to be like, anyways.
2: <laughs> I am curious because, again, this is the other area where I had I, – I saw it one time and I had a, com- a complete – utter thought of how it ended and then watching it this time, I had a completely different thought. So I'm curious what you both think of the ending and in terms of like what Anna told her and why she killed herself and the whole like meaning
3: behind it. I, I went back and forth. Like anytime I watch this movie, I interpret the ending a different way. Mm
4: -hmm. Like there
3: are times that I'll watch this movie and I will think that, uh, you know, whatever Anna told Mademoiselle was that there's nothing out there, like there's nothing beyond death. All of this is pointless. Everything you've been doing is pointless. Um, And I've had that reading a couple times. But for some peculiar reason today, when I was watching it, I had like a really strong feeling of hope like and I don't know why like I can't pinpoint it but I was watching it and maybe it's just like maybe it's because I've seen it so many times now that I'm just like kind of hoping that it's hope I'm feeling (laughs) at the end but uh yeah like I just I was just very convinced today when I was watching it that whatever Anna had told Mademoiselle was that there's something really beautiful and wondrous waiting in the world beyond what we know on this planet and that's why mademoiselle killed herself because she like desperately wanted to go be there um and experience that herself and that's the reading i took from it today but you know Like I said, any other time I'd watched it, I'd had this really intense feeling of just total bleakness and like despair and like Mademoiselle killed herself because there was no point to anything that they had done, you know. Mm -hmm. But for today, I just felt this really like strong sense of hope and like just like there's something wondrous
0: waiting for all of us, you know. That's interesting. I never thought of it as hopeful, because I had, when I initially thought, watch this, it was very much like, there's nothing, like, we're all fucked, goodbye. The most recent time, when I rewatched this, I was thinking, there's something fucked up after death. Like, it's not nothing. There's something horrific. And while Mademoiselle, well, you know, Mademoiselle killing herself would be like, why would she want to confront it? Maybe it's because she doesn't want to delay it, delay facing that hell and have that knowledge of that hell awaiting her. hmm that was a recent interpretation of like there's something bad waiting for us after death, and like you don't want anything to do with it. I love that reading. That's a great reading. That would be so cool. That would like, be really cool. You like y'all were looking for something good, and you were oh you were fucking with something terrible. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> ugh. If there was ever to be a sequel. We don't need one, but, like, that would be so cool if there was, like, delving into some weird, like, Hellraiser and Horizon bullshit going on that they, like, stumbled into by accident. Oh, that would be so fucking cool. But um, would be so cool. But, before, Terry, before I ask you really quick, I just wanted to say that the last part, like, with her getting flayed, it also reminds me a lot of, like, this might be dramatic, but, like – what happens when you put other people in front of you and you take on their trauma as your own, because she's taking on Lucy's trauma. Like this, it's like quite literally Mm -hmm. she goes, she takes on like this trauma from Lucy who lived through this and Anna hadn't experienced it. And now Anna is taking it on, not willingly, but she was at first willingly taking on parts of Lucy's trauma. And as a person who is very willing to take on people's trauma, I saw that a little bit, especially in more recent viewings, as a, as a very dramatic look at what it means to kind of put others in front of yourself and take on their their issues, their things they're dealing with, and making them your own problems, and what maybe the consequences that has for your own body and soul. And that's a very personal reading, like, but that's, I feel that a lot watching this now as like you know. When a person doesn't necessarily reciprocating in those relationships, what it means to like share and support and then like kind of that really dramatic extreme kind of manifestation of what that looks like. But wanted to put that well, in and talk about that before jumping yeah, into well, what I'm you think, you Terry, did. at the end. Yeah.
2: Cause that I mean that that's 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 a great I, I think that's that is a fantastic way of looking at it. I hadn't even thought about that, but it's it seems like It seems perfect because like I was thinking as I was watching it this time about how like, oh, she is literally kind of regressed back to Lucy's childhood. And now she's she's facing what Lucy faced as a child as an adult. And so like that was in my mind. But I hadn't even like connected all the little dots. So I, I like that. Okay, my first watch of this movie and my memory of seeing this movie was that the ending was finite. It was she bitch told her there is nothing good out after death. And she's like, well. It's I'm over like this is all pointless, and that was my that was my thought that that was like this is that was concretely how this ended. And as I was watching it this time, I started having a different perspective on the ending. And I think it's ambiguous. I mean, obviously it's ambiguous. We're all having different you know takes on it. But what I started focusing on in particular was the movie starts with you know Lucy as a child, and Lucy is um, played by a woman who is um, French and Chinese. And we have that whole big beginning. And then we have the whole like stereotypical white family, woman with blonde hair, you know, this perfect like upper class white family. And so there's like a a class and a a race dynamic at play here that I think I missed on my first watch. And that continues. Once we get past this very rich family, then we find out that there's a whole other level of rich society that is like the 1% of the 1% that are like even more heinous than what they're doing because they're like small peons compared to this like secret society of very rich old white people and they're doing all they're manufacturing all this torture and then at the very top of that one percent of the one percent of the one percent you have mademoiselle who at the very end finds out whether it's good bad indifferent nothing finds out what happens in the afterlife and then instead of sharing it with the other 1% of the 1%, is like, I'm hoarding this knowledge. I'm out. Peace.
0: Oh, shit.
2: And so it's like, again, the, the fact that it, that shit is just going to roll downhill where she is so rich, so powerful, and she has that knowledge, and she's going to die with that knowledge, and she's going to leave The one person that is asking her with like doubt she's like keep doubting it's almost like a big fuck you like i know the truth and no one else does Mm -hmm. and isn't that like the entitlement of like (laughs) the rich upper class like isn't that what what kind of boils down to so i had a better appreciation for that aspect of it this time because of putting those little pieces together
0: Okay, but also, like, what a fucking incredible movie that we have. We all three have different readings that are all just as fucking viable and cool. Right. Like,
3: yeah.
0: once, like, it just, they put, that they give you that ending and they give you just enough to kind of make your own conclusion. And every conclusion's fucked up. Like, no matter how you interpret it, there's nothing happy about it. And I just, it's so good. It's such a good movie.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a masterpiece, I think. It's its his best film
2: definitely i agree with you there
0: (laughs) (laughs) well do we want to wrap this up and give this our rating out of five everybody
2: we do but i want to point out one part that like bothered the shit out of me this time and it is after okay (laughs) after lucy is dead anna finds the poor woman who is you know Chained up and blinded and chained up and horrible, right? She leads her upstairs and I wanted to be like, bitch, why are you pulling those staples out of her head? Go run, go call the cops, go do something. Instead, she's like making it worse by pulling out the staples of her, out of her head. I'm like,
0: so bad. You are
2: not a medical person. I know that you're doing like triage and stuff, but leave that to like the fucking professionals.
0: (laughs) Get out of there. That's also, but like, think about Calling the cops in that situation, and you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, what you do?" All right, so we have a situation. It's like the freeze frame,
2: You're probably wondering how I
0: got here. It's like, how do I frame this in the best possible way without getting arrested? I don't think there's a way, but uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, I have a tornado. War- I my phone. I have a tornado warning. Get get Ooh, down oh. to the floor. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Perfect timing. I'm on the 15th floor of an apartment building. It's probably fine. East Coast things. This happens all the time in the state of Maryland. Anyway, sorry. I was like, uh-oh. Do I have to go? I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. But like like I say, imagine calling the cops and be like, look, I got a couple problems here, but the biggest one is that there's a woman – who's been in someone's chain in someone's basement i didn't kill these people
2: <laughs> well, all you have to do is say listen i got a phone call from my friend i came here i don't know what is going on and i found this uh blind person stumbling about good luck
0: <laughs> imagine being a cop walking into that situation you're like nah. oh god <laughs> no.
2: i would have just been like nope here's my badge i'm out
0: but also like <laughs> Think about it. If the cops were called, I guarantee you this is the kind of society that the cops wrapped around their fingers, and the cops know that oh, this yeah. is happening. No, too. Oh yeah, no, they do. But, Probably, yeah, yeah. But anyway, Terry, let's wrap this up and give this rating out of five. Uh, how many flayed bodies out of five do you give this, Terry?
2: <laughs> Can I pass? <laughs>
0: uh,
2: okay. okay. Um, so here is the thing. <laughs> I.
0: Your friendship lies in the balance. I'm just kidding. I
2: know. You're gonna break
0: my heart, (laughs)
3: Terry.
2: I know. I'm sorry. Okay. Here. Okay. But here's the thing. Here's here's what I like. I'm in a much better place than when I started this this episode. (laughs) Like I was like fucking nervous about being like. I was like, I'm gonna give this movie like a one or two two stars, and it's gonna be like what? But okay. So here's the thing. I do not like this movie. I I don't. I I like. About three-fourths of it, and that last fourth just is a a deal-breaker for me. That is what I'm going into, and I just can't get past that. However, I do have a better appreciation for this movie in particular. I think the, the narrative structure is very interesting, like you said, Eric. I think the way that it is constantly jarring you from scene to scene, where it starts as one thing, and it turns into something completely different, and then it turns again, and then it changes again, and then it changes again, and it's like it's constantly changing, And so it's very hard to like pin this movie down. And I think that's fascinating and fantastic. And I love that. It does remind me of picking up like an old VHS tape and you don't know what's on and you're watching it. And it's just like, there's that sense of danger. And I get that watching this. I got that watching it last night as I'm streaming it on fucking Shutter. It's like, even though I'm watching this on something that is so sanitized and corporate and fed to me, it still feels very dangerous. And I think that's fantastic. I love that we're able to discuss all of these little theories on it and, and get to different reactions about what it actually means. I think that is great. I think technically this movie is pretty damn close to a masterpiece in terms of like the filmmaking on display in terms of like, I mean, I would say the acting, but it's really, it's just a lot of physical acting and it's just, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot here that I think is really good. I just cannot get past the last fourth of this movie. And that is something I'm not going to be able to ever get past. It just is not going to happen. So, from a technical standpoint, I do think this is probably, ooh, I'm cutting that body in half and giving it probably four and a half flayed bodies, which is even probably worse than, uh, you know, a full flayed body. But for me personally, I just, I don't like this movie. So it's, it's complicated. What about you, Mary Beth?
0: Full five, full five bodies out of five for me. It's been a full five since I first saw it when I was, I think, in my 20, er, I think I was 20. And it continues to be, I think this movie is a masterpiece. I think everything about it is so purposeful. I think this movie is one of the reasons why I love uh New French extremity so much and why I have such an appreciation for that. This is why I love nihilistic filmmaking, I love extreme horror. I this movie is queer, it's gross, it's fucked up, it's complicated, and I think it's it's like straightforward but not straightforward enough that you can't have these kind of really awesome discussions about interpreting these the the ending and some of the actions these characters take. So it's this like beautiful balance between like straightforward and vague storytelling that loves that like leaves you to have kind of a very personal experience with that. I think this is a very personal film to watch. Like for me it's a very personal film I think just because of how like emotionally invested I am in this movie and I think it's a it's a personal film because of how intense it is for a lot of people. Like, seeing it, I feel like it's hard to watch this with other people. I've mm. never watched it with another person. And I feel like this is a movie best watched alone. Um, which sounds weird for the subject matter. But honestly, like, you have to... It's a lot of thinking and processing you're doing through it. And it's hard to do with another person.
2: Yeah. Funny story is that uh, my roommate, she watches these movies whenever I watch. And I was like, hey, I'm going to watch this movie. It's really fucked up. There's some really bad balance against which she's like i'm gonna pass and i'm like thank god because i don't think i want to watch this with another
0: person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you like
2: i can't I do
0: this <laughs> but um but yeah uh well eric you have the final say how many flayed bodies out of five do you give martyrs i think i know your answer but i'm gonna yeah. go one, with right? i'm
3: gonna go with 10 10 10 <laughs> hell yeah no ten, i mean ten, you tens you across the perfectly board. i mean I just want to echo everything you said. Uh, You just said it so eloquently and you really like captured um, the spirit of this movie. I mean, it is so, it is just such a masterpiece. And for me, like, it's just very, very personal. I saw it, you know, during a very just important kind of era in my life. And it really informed a lot of the, creative decisions that I now make with my own writing. And,
0: mm-hmm. um,
3: you know, I it's really because of martyrs that, um, you know, I, I want to write more extreme, disturbing kind of fiction. Um, so yeah, no martyrs for me is just it's an absolute masterpiece. And um, I'm sorry, you don't feel that way. Terry. That's totally fine. But I love <laughs> I love any fiction or film that has that polarizing effect with people, you know, Mm -hmm. where you can talk to one person and they'd be like, oh, it's a masterpiece. I loved it. Such a great, you know, work. And then you talk to somebody else and you're like, oh, that was horrible. Like, I don't know why that's popular, blah, 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 blah. Like, I love things that are like that. And I feel like that's what makes really interesting art you know, the worst thing that can happen when you release your art into the world is if nobody's talking about it. But if you release something that is true to your vision and is audacious and is bold and new and fresh, uh, you know, you'll absolutely get responses from people. And uh they may not all be the responses that you're looking for. You're you might get some hate, you might get some, you know, negative feedback, but you know, at least people are talking and reacting to what you put out into the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And hey, if it's the reason why you're writing all this dark fiction then I'm giving Martyrs 10 out of 10 cuz yay. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> thank
2: you. <laughs> At the end of the day, if, if that's if that's if that's what we get out of it then I am completely happy that it exists.
3: Oh, actually, thank you. <laughs>
2: um but thank you again so much, even though like I was dreading talking, what, revisiting this film and then talking about it because I knew you both really loved it. Um, thank you again for joining us to talk about Martyrs. Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up that you're able to share?
3: Yeah, so um, listeners can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My at is Hysteric Teeth. And uh, my website is ericlaraca.com. Um, And coming up, I have a novella that's coming out in June uh, with Journalstone called We Can Never Leave This Place. Uh, Pre-orders are going to be going out very, very soon. Um, So that's really exciting. And then in September, I have uh, Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke and Other Misfortunes. And that's coming out through Titan Books in the UK. Um, it's coming out, you know, internationally. Um, so it'll be available on September 6th and, uh, readers can pre-order that right now, actually.
0: Awesome. Hell yeah. Um, and like we said at the top, we'll have links in the description of the podcast so you guys can get all that, get all that good stuff. Um. But listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with martyrs? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MBMcAndrews.
2: And I'm at dreadful.
0: And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred podcast.
2: And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe.
0: Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
2: And until next time.